came across this story this week of a wife that was making breakfast for her husband, and she was cooking fried eggs for him. As she was in the kitchen, suddenly her husband burst into the kitchen, shouting, careful, careful, put in more butter, oh my goodness, you're cooking too many eggs at once, too many, turn them, turn them now before they stick to the pan. We need more butter. Oh my goodness, where are we going to get more butter? They're going to stick. Be careful, careful. You never listen to me when you're cooking, never. Turn them, hurry up. Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? Don't forget to salt them. You know you always forget to salt the fried eggs. Use the salt, the salt, use the salt. The wife stared at her husband and said, what in the world is wrong with you? You think I don't know how to fry a couple of eggs? To which then the husband calmly replied, I just wanted to show you what it feels like when I'm driving. <laughs> One of the top ten things people hate the most is when they are being nagged at. Whether they're being nagged by their spouse or their parents or even their boss or parents being nagged by their children in this day and age. I hope none of you would ever nag to the extent of being like Job's wife who nagged him constantly throughout the book of Job with these such kind words, curse God and die. While nagging is generally known to be detrimental towards marriage and a person's well-being, you may be surprised to find that in the Bible, we are actually encouraged to nag. And even more surprising, that encouragement is to nag at God of all people. In fact, the more we nag at God, the more God responds. Now, you may not believe me, so I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. And we continue this morning our series entitled Masterclass, Learning from the Master Teacher, Important Life Lessons. If you remember what I mentioned last week, Jesus, the greatest teacher that ever walked this planet, used one of the most effective tools to ensure that the life lessons he wanted us to learn was ingrained in the minds of the listeners. And so he often taught in story form and we call them parables. And surprisingly, in the parable we're going to study this morning, Jesus gives a guide to effective biblical and spiritual nagging. How can this be? Let's learn the lesson together. I begin in verse 2 of Luke chapter 18. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me, for my adversary. And he would not for a while. Apparently there was a judge who was not afraid of God, meaning he, he wasn't following the principles of God, of justice and righteousness, and in fact he didn't have any regard for his fellow human beings. Why in the world is he a judge? I don't know, we don't know, and it doesn't matter. As we mentioned last week, don't get caught up in the details or the lack of details in a parable and thus miss the greater message that the parable is teaching. 
Apparently this judge basically did whatever he wanted to do, perhaps letting power get to his head, and it is not that far-fetched in our country to know that there are judges indeed like this. Someone who has forgotten his or her duty as a judge who should adjudicate and advocate for justice in this world. Now there was a widow living under the jurisdiction of this judge who tried to seek justice for her case. Now we don't know the merits of the case. We don't know the case itself. For whatever reason, he refused to listen to her pleas for justice in her matter. Widows at the time of Christ were often helpless and vulnerable. And that's why throughout the scriptures, there are admonitions for us as a church to take care of widows and orphans, those who are helpless. But this wicked judge who is supposed to uphold justice and defend the rights of the helpless do not do it. So what course of action and remedy does this widow have? She turns to the only thing she can do in her desperation, and she begins to nag him, almost to the point of annoyance in death. Look at verses 4 and 5. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wearies me. Because of this widow's continual nagging, the judge is forced to help her and bring justice for her in her case. Now this judge doesn't help her because it's the right thing to do. This judge doesn't help her because he fears God. This judge only intervenes in her case because he's tired of listening to her nag. That is the power of nagging. We who have experienced nagging, I one of them, know that we respond to nagging not because we know it's the right thing to do, but we often simply just do what he's being reminded of us because we just want the nagging to end. Isn't that true? Do you remember the story of Samson and Delilah? Delilah, the Philistine, wanted to know the secret of Samson's strength, which was in his uncut hair, having taken the Nazarite vow. She couldn't seduce him, as beautiful as she was, out of his closely held secret. She couldn't argue her way with him revealing his secret. How did she do it? She used the power of nagging. Judges chapter 16, verse 16. And it came to pass when Delilah pestered Samson daily with her words and pressed him so that Samson's soul was vexed to death, literally translated, nagged to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. I can only imagine Delilah saying to Samson about a thousand times a day, Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, in both the harshest of tones, Tell me, or in the sweetest of tones, Tell me. Until it annoyed him so much that he would reveal his most closely guarded secret to an enemy. And that would lead to his downfall. 
similarly, this widow in this story, to the point of desperation, perhaps follows the judge from his house to the courtroom. Perhaps during his lunch break, she is there. And then from the courtroom back to his house, there she is again, following home. And there, she keeps saying, help me, help me, help me. And finally, the judge, so tired of her nagging, finally gets her the justice she is looking for. This parable is an interesting one, but it reveals a great truth about God. What does it reveal? Look at verse 6 and 7. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This parable about a nagging woman reveals the truth about God. And that truth is that unlike the wicked judge who finally responds only to nagging, how much more the righteous judge, the Lord God, will see to it that his own people get justice and get it quickly when they ask of him. And I know this morning there are those, some of you, who cry out day and night to the Lord God, basically bombarding heaven with your prayers, nagging God over and over and over about the same request you've had, perhaps the same request since you were six. And you know what God's response is? God's response is, don't stop. It's a bit surprising, isn't it? The omnipotent, omniscient God says, let me hear it. Don't stop. Know that God is happy to listen to those nagging prayers. In fact, he welcomes it. How great is our God that he doesn't mind when you repeat the same things over and over and over again. While we would get tired of it, he doesn't. Now we should understand that just because we beg or nag more doesn't mean God will grant us that request. That is not what the parable is teaching. The emphasis of the parable, again I repeat, is not teaching that the more you beg God, the more you nag Him, He will grant you that request. This parable is teaching the persistence we are to have in prayer and that that persistence is effective with God. And if it works with the righteous judge, that persistent call, how much more the righteous judge? If it works with the wicked judge, how much more a righteous judge? And we can take assurance that our nagging or persistence in requesting of God will indeed be effective regardless of what he ultimately decides. Now, as some of you read these verses... You may be wondering, how in the world is God's justice swift when you and I have been asking for justice for the longest of time? I want us to understand something. God's timing is not the same as yours. What is quick to God to implement His perfect will may be, in our human minds, quite slow. But it is quick to God because he knows it will come to pass. Remember, the justice that he brings is absolutely fair, and it will definitely come. In its intrinsic form, justice is not about speed. It is about the result. For example, hypothetically, 
if there is a member of your family that is murdered, you want justice and you want it quickly. And we correlate the two together. And so what if, hypothetically, the police find the murderer, the killer, the next day? I'm sure you would be satisfied because now justice has immediately been served and they're locked up in prison and it makes you feel good. And you say to yourself, justice has been served. But what if, because of DNA testing 20 years later, it is found out that the man that the police and their rush to judgment arrested is not the killer? How would you feel? You would again feel that justice has not been served. My point being, justice is not about speed. It is about result. And God can say that his justice comes swiftly from his perspective because he knows that justice does and will happen and he will do it right. We know that one day he will come and he will judge all mankind where all accounts will be settled. No one gets away with anything. And that assurance comes from the knowledge that God protects his own. He says it right there in verse 7. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him. Now there's a question at the end of verse 8. And that question is, will he find when he comes people with this type of faith? It is a rhetorical question. Will people on earth have faith that God will listen to their nagging prayers and bring justice quickly to those who cry out to him? The answer is yes. There should be people like that and there will be. That is the type of faith we are to have as we nag God in prayer. Now, some of you may stop here, and you're quite happy because now you're going to go home and tell your husband, see, the Bible justifies my nagging. Tell your children, see, the Bible says I can continue to nag you, constantly remind you. In fact, that would be the wrong takeaway. There is a proverb that actually says that nagging is bad, in that sense. In fact, recent reports announced that nagging could cost actually the lives of people, and it has cost the lives of hundreds of men, no joke. In a study that came out in the UK, new research has found that the burden of a demanding partner is linked with hundreds of extra deaths a year. Men who are subjected to nagging the constant demands and worries from their partners were 2.5 times as likely to die within 10 years than those with less stressful relationships. In fact, the nagging effect is so strong, it could account for hundreds of deaths a year, the researchers suggested. 315 extra deaths per 100,000 people per year caused by spousal nagging. Scientific proof. And with that news, I think some of you may actually nag more to hasten your spouse's demise. I hope that's not the case. You take information, you process it as you will. But the application of this parable points us that nagging, while discouraged, in fact, in the scriptures in the book of Proverbs, is actually encouraged as it relates to spiritual things. It is to channel your desire to nag, to constantly remind to something better and something more spiritual. And from it, Jesus himself will draw out some personal life applications. And in fact, he gives us the guide for how you can be more effective in 
biblical and spiritual nagging. And we find those in verse 1. Let's go back. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them that man always ought to pray and not lose heart. Here in verse 1, we extrapolate this effective guide to spiritual nagging. Jesus teaches in verse 1, we are to pray. Again, not an earth-shattering realization. If you grow up in a church, you know that we are encouraging you to pray. Prayer is the vehicle for nagging to God. We pray and we plead with Him, the one who actually cares for you. Verse 7, and shall God not avenge His own elect? There is one who indeed looks out for His own children. And we are to pray and nag God with our request because we believe He is someone who can do it. Now, that may seem like a simple lesson to you, but I want you to think about the profound application of that truth. We nag because we know someone can do it. They're perhaps lazy, so they just need constant encouragement. But we nag them because we know they can do it. We nag a husband because we know that he can pick up his own clothes off the floor and put it in the laundry basket just 20 meters away. I speak from experience. We can do it. We just don't do it. But my wife nags me because I can Me not doing it, husband's not doing it, doesn't mean he can't do it. Your children can brush their own teeth. Them not doing it doesn't mean they can't do it. And you tell them to brush their teeth because you know they can. Now listen carefully, here's the truth. The effectivity of nagging isn't related to how much you do it. It is in the ability of the person you nag to be able to do what you are asking. And that's an important point. The effectivity of nagging isn't related to how loudly you nag, how much you do it. It is based on the ability of the person you nag to be able to do what you are asking. Example, you can nag a fish all you want about learning to walk. You can yell at that aquarium, fish, walk! You can yell at that aquarium a thousand times a day. But you realize it is ineffective because that fish can't walk. When there is hope for change, when there is the ability to change, then that is where your nagging is effective. Therefore, biblical nagging is conditioned on the fact that the one you ask can actually do something about it. Did you get that? Biblical nagging and prayer is effective only because the one you nag and bring your request to can actually fulfill your request. That's why in the book of Isaiah and other books, the Lord almost laughs at people who worship idols. And He says Himself, why do you worship these idols? They are made out of Metal and wood pieces, they can't do anything. Highlighted by Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It's almost a comedic routine. You can nag and pray all you want, but if that deity is unable to fulfill your request, it's ineffective. And here's the first lesson I want you to understand, number one, if you're taking notes. 
The first lesson of effective biblical nagging is the realization that prayer acknowledges that God is able to do it. The realization that prayer acknowledges that God is able to do it. That's why when you nag God in prayer, it says it right there in verse 1, men ought to pray. Tell them about your knuckle-headed spouse. Tell them about your lazy husband. Tell them about your no-good wife. Tell them about your troubled teenagers. Tell them about your illogical parents. Tell them about the difficulty of a few office mates. Tell them about your financial needs. Tell them about the emptiness of your heart, longing for significance. Tell them about how you're struggling in your business, trying to live ethically in an unethical world. Tell them about your struggles in wanting children. Tell them about what a hard time you are having grasping certain school subjects. Tell them about your desire for a life partner. Because while you can't change your circumstances or you can't change the person you so want to change, there is someone who can. And when you pray to God, He's not only listening. He's not simply a listening ear. He actually can take the problems that you have and He can work out a solution. And the very reason you and I pray is because we acknowledge a God that is able to do what we request. Or else you might as well not pray because it is an utter waste of time. So if you call yourself an expert nagger, then you should also be a prayer warrior. Whoever thought that nagging and prayer go hand in hand? Jesus did. And he uses a very interesting parable to correlate Nagging and prayer. Listen carefully. The number of times you're trying to get someone to change by your nagging is the number of times or even more you should pray to God to help you in this campaign of change that you are on. Does that make sense? The number of times you're going to nag at someone to change, the number of times and the energy you put in trying to get someone to change through your nagging, should be the number of time and the amount of effort you put into praying to God to enable you to change the person you're praying for, to help you in this campaign of change. You and I need to understand our words do not change people. Only the Holy Spirit, God himself, can reach into the very depth of one's heart and change even the hardest of hearts. And so why not commission the one who has the ability to change hearts and recruit him as he invites us to to help you in this campaign towards change. The second lesson also found in verse 1. Look with me. Then he spoke a parable to them that man always ought to pray and not lose heart. Here we focus on the word always 
That second lesson of effective biblical nagging is number two, that persistence is the key to effective prayer. Persistence is the key to effective prayer. God is inviting all of us to nag at Him. He says, always inviting us to remind Him of all the things we need, always. He isn't bothered by it. In fact, He welcomes it. You know, some of us are actually worried that we're going to offend God. Because the problem is, you know when we nag our children or our spouses, or the other way around, we know when we've gone over the line. You know how it is? When you just nag that one time, one extra time, that it just has to come out, and you get that look. Or you get that retort. And you said, uh-oh, I said it one too many times. And so we have this perhaps misinformed understanding that perhaps we're going to offend God if we ask too many times. Here's the wonderful thing. God doesn't have a stopping point. He says, keep it coming. Bother me. It's as if he's got a sign that says, bother me. Nag me all you want. Tell me. I want to know. Now, some of you may be sitting there thinking, God is omniscient. He knows everything. If I tell him once, he should remember it. That's his responsibility. And that is true. God is omniscient. He remembers and he knows everything even before we speak it. So then why in the world does he want us to continue reminding him? Is it because he forgets? Well, we often are simply lazy. I'll just be honest. We're lazy. We're lazy to remember our own prayer items. And so we pray one thing to God one time and we say, well, God, it's on you now. And yet throughout the scriptures... God invites us to pray much and pray often. It is an invitation to persistent nagging for some things we like. So I wonder how many of us every day are praying for the future godly life partner of our children. Perhaps you only remember to pray when I remind you. And yet I know every parent here wants a wonderful in-law. So don't blame God if you only prayed once in your life. I hope my son or daughter marries someone that's pretty good and then they end up marrying someone else. How important was it to you that you pray about that matter regularly? How many of you pray for the salvation of a loved one every day? If you are so concerned about their eternal destiny, how often is it in your prayer list? Again, usually we pray for those eternal matters only when we remember, sadly, often when they're in the hospital. How many of you pray that God would help you at work every day? You complain every day about struggling at work, but you maybe you remember to pray once a week. As if that one prayer obligates and makes God responsible to take care of your problems. And here's the thing. The more persistent you are in prayer, the more it indicates to everyone, including God, that it is something you really want. If you are to get tired after one request, then perhaps it's not something you really want. You know, a lot of people tell me they really want this or that from God. And after a week of praying for it, they get tired and forget about it. And God's probably thinking up in heaven, 
Well, I guess you really don't want it. You prayed for a week, and you gave up. I know you parents know this, but how do you know if your children really want something or if they really need it and it's just not a passing fad? Because my children always request from us as parents lots of things every day. Most of the time, my default answer as a mean parent is no. No. Now, is it because I like to say no? Yes. But the reason I say no is because I want to see if they really want it. Because when I say no and they say, well, dad and mom said no, and they walk away, then I realize they don't need it. They can cope with life and in life without it. But you know what happens when you say no to your children and they come back and they beg and plead, please, please buy it for me. We can even combine my birthday and Christmas gift if you give it for me. Then my wife and I will look at each other, wow, they really want it. Sometimes I tell my boys, especially as they are interested in electronic things, go research and give me the reviews. And like any good auditor, I need three competing quotes. Most of the time, they don't even bother. But sometimes, they actually make the effort. And it's those times that I realize, well, they really want it. You see, the amount of effort we put in really indicates how much we long for it. And that's exactly what God is trying to teach here. That man always ought to pray Is it worth it? Is it of value to you? Then are you persistently praying for it? Sometimes we wonder why God just doesn't answer the first time we ask of it. If we get what we wanted the first time we asked of God, then God just becomes some sort of wish-granting genie, and we center our relationship with Him on what we can get out of Him instead about a relationship with the person of who he is. And God's asking for Christians to persistently pray is a way by which he draws us closer to him to ensure that our desire of him is not in the results, but our desire is on him and his will. The early church father, John Chrysostom, wrote these words. I prayed for many things and was not heard. For even this occurs to your advantage, since God realizes that you lose heart and are indolent, and that when you attain what you need, you depart and no longer pray. God protects you with the pretext of need, so that you may concern yourself with Him more closely and devote yourself to prayer. I know those are a lot of words, so let me unpack it for you. Such words of wisdom. God doesn't always give you everything you want the first time you ask of it. Because he realizes that when you get what you are praying for, then you depart and you no longer pray. How many of you, if you're honest with yourself, once you get what you pray for, you say, bye-bye, God. How many of you even bother when you get what you pray for, even bother to thank him as profusely as when you were begging him to give it to you. In fact, there's a parable about thankful people and how many actually come back to thank what they get. 
We know that. When we give our kids what they ask for, they grab the toy and they're gone. And that's the point. Then he says, God protects us with the pretext of need so that you may concern yourself with him more closely and devote yourself to prayer. What a great word, a phrase. The pretext of need. He wants us to depend on him. He doesn't give us everything so that we can depend on him. Just like you parents don't give all of your life fortune to your kids because they don't need you anymore. You hold a little something back so they'll still come and visit you. So they'll take care of you when you get old. Isn't that the truth? In the same way, God doesn't give us everything we want. Because in the pretext of need, so that we persistently pray to Him, that we can draw closer to Him and devote ourselves in doing this spiritual discipline. I like what Dan Sullivan writes. He writes, If you're exhausted with asking and exhausted with waiting, know that God the Father says it's okay to exhaust Him with asking. He won't turn your prayer away even if you drive him crazy. Nagging prayers that drive God crazy, quote-unquote, is the type of persistent prayer that God is looking for. It reveals the depth of what we so desire in our hearts. That is the second lesson of effective biblical nagging. The third, also found in verse 1, look with me. Then he spoke a parable to them that man always ought to pray and not lose heart. You know, every nagger, a good one, knows that you cannot stop. Because if you stop, that, that means all the time you spent nagging before would be wasted. And you continue to do so because just one day, when they actually listen, it will be worth it. You know that feeling when your kid goes and brushes his teeth without you having to call on them? And the mom in her heart says, oh, 10 years of nagging, it was worth it. Or perhaps on your wife's birthday, on my wife's birthday, I pick up my own clothes. And I know it makes her so happy. It's a cheap gift. It makes her so happy because she's thinking to herself, 20 years of nagging. And he finally gets it until the next day when it's not her birthday. But that accumulation, that, that hope is there, and so you do it. But sometimes when it takes a long time, you get discouraged, wondering if it's going to work. In the same way, persistent prayer can get very discouraging, especially when it seems that God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers. That's why he says in verse 1 that men will not lose heart that they shouldn't get discouraged. Look at the persistence of the widow that allowed the uncaring judge to actually finally care. How much more the righteous judge. You see, the third lesson of effective biblical spiritual nagging is number three, that persistent prayer is maintained when one does not lose heart. Persistent prayer is maintained when one does not lose heart. Do not lose hope. Do not lose heart. Hang in there. Keep the faith. Discouragement will quickly cause someone to stop praying, to stop nagging God. And so we need to be reminded of the first lesson. 
that there is one who is able to do it, don't be discouraged because part of the process and the journey is in the attitude. Now, I need to be careful because some of you actually find nagging enjoyable, so you actually never lose heart. But remember, it is for a bigger purpose, a desire for someone's life to be transformed and changed. Yes, sometimes God doesn't answer our requests immediately for our own good. Understand that it's for our own good. And His perfect will is also for our own good. But part of the process of waiting upon God is to test our faith. That's what the end of verse 8 talks about. Will there be faithful people on earth who persist in prayer, not getting what they want immediately, but persisting, not losing heart, having faith that God is able. Unanswered prayers always test our faith. And that test is passed when we continue to persistently pray. Not losing heart, even though we're tired, we're frustrated, and we're even disappointed with God. Don't take measures into your own hands while you're waiting for God. I remember the story told in the UK Guardian of Indonesia's anti-drug czar. So frustrated with the rampant corruption in his country that he wanted to build a prison on an island and staff it not with people but with crocodiles. Because as he correctly explains to the media in Indonesia, you can't bribe crocodiles. You can't convince crocodiles to let inmates escape. And the prison would be used to house death row drug convicts, the report says. Rather than to search for more so-called trustworthy men, so frustrated this anti-drug czar finally decided it's easier to find more ferocious crocodiles. That's because crocodiles can be dependent on, while the duplicitous nature of man cannot. Taking matters in your own hand often becomes as ridiculous as that, and that's not the solution. I know that some of you are at that point where you've been praying for something for weeks, for months, for years, for decades. All I can tell you, my friends, is to persevere more. Don't lose heart. Maybe it, it's not yet God's time for what you are praying for to happen. Perhaps it's God leading you into another better direction. I don't know what it is. I wish I could tell you I don't know the timing of when God will act. But all I can simply encourage you with is don't be discouraged. Keep the faith, as they say. Hang in there. And our ability to persistently nag God is maintained when we do not lose heart. As I age every year, I hope that I'm maturing as a believer. And as I mature as a Christian, I look back at my life and I've come to this realization that if I got from God everything that I asked of Him the first time I asked Him, I wouldn't have gotten God's best. It takes a mature Christian to come to that understanding that if they got what they wanted the first time they asked of God, that it may not be His best. Because I know if I had gotten what I first asked of God, 
I wouldn't be married to Cindy. If I had asked God and he gave it to me the first time I asked of him, I wouldn't be a pastor. I wouldn't be in the Philippines. If I had gotten from God everything I asked of him the first time I asked it, as I look back, I realize I would have had a terrible life today. Can you come to that realization? Can you come to that understanding? Don't get discouraged in your spiritual nagging of God in prayer. Keep at it. Your prayer is always accepted by God. In fact, every time you call to Him, the God of the universe gives you His full attention. He is listening. Peter Forsythe wrote, Prayer is never rejected so long as we do not cease to pray. The chief failure of prayer is its cessation. Our prayers fail, not because God has failed us. Our prayers fail because we stop praying. It's never rejected when we lift up our need to the Lord, to which he invites us to do so. I love how Walter Sundberg puts it. Prayer can be a wonderful thing, but also a dangerous thing, depending on how you see the possibility of being engaged by God. If you nag in prayer, you might just be changed. If you want a relationship with God, I mean a serious relationship, and just not a casual one, or a casual date, he writes, then nag him in prayer. I dare you. So my friends... Nag away at God in prayer. Channel all of that energy that you so love doing in nagging spouses and children and friends, whoever else, and channel that energy into nagging God. Because He invites us to do so. He's even given us a guide to effective biblical and spiritual nagging. Remember, the amount of time you are spending nagging towards life changing someone, even more, you should have equally or more time spent in prayer. If that's the case, we would have lots of prayer warriors in this church. Let the sweet name of Jesus in prayer always be on your lips every day as you tell God your needs. As the song goes, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me praying as I go. May the song of your life be one of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this unique parable, bridging our desire for nagging in our lack of praying. May we realize that the invitation for us to storm heaven with our request does not come from our own selfishness. It comes from an invitation from the Heavenly Father who invites us to persistently pray. And there are times you and I, and we don't understand, Lord, what you're doing I get frustrated with you, Lord. I want you to act a lot faster than what you're doing. 
help me to understand that the timing of your perfect will is in your hands, not mine. My job is simply to persist in nagging you. May we do such that as we continue to honor you with our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.